It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. The original 1883 Italian version of Pinocchio is far darker than the version modern audiences are acquainted with. I cannot tell a lie, you will love this story. If you want to hear more like it, subscribe to Tales. Every Wednesday, we take you through the twists and turns of the dark origins of your favorite pieces of folklore. To hear the entire Tales catalog, you must listen on Spotify. Pain shot through the puppet's body. He wasn't sure exactly what he was feeling. It felt like scraping, each cut pressing deeper and deeper into his skin. It took everything in his power not to scream. He felt a hole being dug into his head. Suddenly, he realized he could see. With his new eye, he watched as a knife carved a second eye into his face. The puppet tried to make sense of where he was. Blinking, he saw a dusty wood shop. Planks and paint littered the floor, and puppets sat on the shelves. But the most curious thing in the room was an old man sitting inches from the puppet's face. They stared at each other in horror. What had the old man just created? I'm Vanessa Richardson. You're listening to Tales, a ParCast original. Every other Saturday, we dive into the dark origins of another fairy tale. You can find episodes of Tales and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify and wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Tales for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Tales in the search bar. Today, we're sharing the story of Pinocchio, the mischievous marionette who learns what it takes to be a real boy. Today's episode is based on the earliest version of the story, written by Carlo Collodi in 1883. The tales on this podcast are dark, sometimes scary, and full of adult themes. As a warning, the original story of Pinocchio features fraud, theft, abuse, mutilation, and heartbreak. Please exercise caution for children under 13. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoy today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. In the late 19th century, serial literature surged in popularity throughout Europe. Rather than publishing a single work of fiction, authors would share weekly episodes featuring their characters. Such was the case with The Adventures of Pinocchio by Carlo Collodi. 
The first chapter was released on July 7, 1881, in one of the earliest Italian children's magazines, Giornale per i Bambini. The story stood out worldwide, largely because the central character was a puppet. Italy had a long tradition of puppetry going back to the Middle Ages. Carnival celebrations often featured puppet shows with fool characters, such as Pulcinella, but marionettes in particular were less common in places like England and the United States. This made the story feel unique in a crowded children's literature landscape. Collodi ended the initial story on a massive cliffhanger, with Pinocchio hanging by his neck from a tree. This was a masterful use of suspense, as young readers begged the magazine to print what happened next. This led to an additional 20 chapters, completing the full tale, which we'll share with you now. Geppetto eyed the trembling wooden creature sitting on his shop table, not quite sure what to make of him. The puppet had pine eyes, and so he said he might as well call him Pinocchio. No sooner had Geppetto given the puppet his name than the ungrateful creature kicked the old man in the chest. Geppetto was furious at his creation. Now listen here, Pinocchio. You should respect your father, cried the old man. But the puppet had already grabbed the old man's wig and was running circles around the shop. Geppetto scrambled after him, overturning his work table in the process, but Pinocchio made a beeline for the shop door. Within seconds, he was clattering along the cobblestone street outside Geppetto's shop. Pinocchio gave a little shout at the feeling of wind on his face. He could run for the rest of his life if he had to. He gulped down the fresh air and laughed at the curious things in the street around him. Lamp posts, people, little scurrying dogs. But behind him, he heard the old man calling angrily. If he was caught, would he be punished? He couldn't let that happen. As the old man drew nearer, a dark thought entered Pinocchio's mind. He stopped abruptly and started to yell. Help! That man is trying to hurt me! He's going to make me cry! The townspeople heard little Pinocchio's cry with horror. They were so outraged at his plight that they didn't even notice that he was a puppet, rather than a real boy. As Geppetto closed in on Pinocchio, the townspeople leapt into action, holding him back and pinning him to the ground. That's my son! Geppetto yelled as he tried to break free, but the townspeople had heard enough. They didn't want to see a grown man hurting a little boy, so they led him away from Pinocchio and toward the town jail. As Pinocchio watched his father being dragged away, a puckish grin spread across his face. What fun it was to be bad. Feeling devilishly proud of himself for avoiding his father's discipline, Pinocchio slipped back into Geppetto's shop to have a look around. He saw strange brass tools, strings, and half-finished puppets. None of them looked as good as he did, and none of them were alive. Maybe he was special. 
maybe puppets weren't supposed to be alive. While he was poking through the tools, he realized someone, or something, was watching him. He whirled around to see a small cricket standing on a chair. The cricket smiled up at the puppet. I'm the talking cricket, and I've been living in this room for over 100 years. Woe to boys who refuse to obey their parents and run away from home. They will never be happy in this world, and when they are older, they will be very sorry for it. Pinocchio stared at the small bug. Insects weren't supposed to talk, and he didn't like what the bug was saying. He took a hatchet from his father's work table and threw it at the little bug. Blood splattered across the wall as the hatchet sunk into the cricket's flesh. The cricket wriggled in pain before he fell to the ground, dead. Pinocchio beamed at the corpse. That nasty cricket wouldn't talk to him again. Exhausted from his first day of being alive, Pinocchio settled down next to the stove to warm himself up. It was getting lonely. Maybe he should have listened to Geppetto. If he hadn't run out of the shop, maybe they would be sharing a warm meal. Feeling sorrier for himself than he had ever felt, Pinocchio drifted off to sleep. He dreamed his feet were getting warmer and warmer. They grew so hot, it felt like they were melting off, almost as if his legs had caught fire, as if flames were slowly licking up the little twigs towards his waist. Pinocchio awoke screaming. Looking down, he saw that his feet had in fact melted off. Where his beautiful wooden legs had been were ashen stumps. Pinocchio screamed at the sight. He clattered along the floor, struggling to stand. Just then, Pinocchio heard a familiar voice. Geppetto was back. The townsfolk must have released him from prison. Pinocchio apologized over and over. He didn't mean to be bad. It had all been a mistake. He promised Geppetto he would go to school and be a good boy if Geppetto made him a new pair of feet. Geppetto shook his head. Boys always make promises when they want something. Pinocchio would have to go without feet, crawling around the woodshop like a baby. But it was soon clear Geppetto felt sorry for Pinocchio. That night, after letting Pinocchio suffer for a few hours without feet, he carved him new ones. The following morning, Pinocchio set off to school on his new feet. In his hand, he held a brand new school book, and in his heart, he held his promise to Geppetto. He was going to be the best student ever. He was going to make his father so proud he would cry tears of joy. That was, until Pinocchio heard the strangest sound. Pipes, trumpets, drums. Pinocchio stopped, overwhelmed with excitement. What if he followed the pipes? School would still be around tomorrow, but the pipes might only be here for today. With a grin, he set off toward the sounds. Being good could wait. A few blocks later, 
Pinocchio found himself outside of a large theater draped in royal blue curtains and glowing with spotlights. The sign above the building read, The Great Marionette Theater. The music was louder and joined by laughter. It sounded like magic. Pinocchio stepped through the creaking door. Inside, he saw rows and rows of people staring forward, their eyes glowing with excitement. Pinocchio gasped at the scene. Two marionettes danced around one another, as limber and alive as he, Harlequin in a checkerboard suit, and Pulcinella in flowing white robes. They were in the middle of an argument, threatening each other with sticks. The crowd laughed and cheered along with the show, but when Harlequin and Pulcinella saw Pinocchio, they stopped fighting and stared. Beaming, they called out for Pinocchio to join them on stage. Pinocchio was overjoyed. He didn't know other puppets could walk and talk. Was this where he belonged? With a few quick jumps, he bounded through the audience and towards his fellow puppets. They all hugged and danced, but the audience began to boo. They wanted to see the end of the show. Just as the crowd began to chant, the director stepped out on stage. He cracked his whip and glared down at Pinocchio. You'll burn for disturbing my show, puppet. Pinocchio trembled. He had never heard anything as loud as that whip. But before Pinocchio could even apologize, he was tied up and led away from all of his friends. Moments later, he found himself in front of a large, crackling fire. A man with greasy hair and thin, straight teeth eyed him. You'll make nice kindling. I like my lamb well cooked. Pinocchio shook in fear, his wooden knees knocking together. He'd been bad, and now he was going to burn. Next, Pinocchio faces the fire. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. Pinocchio gulped as he realized that the crackling flames in the fireplace would soon be racing up his arms and legs. Leaking big tears out of his wooden eyes, Pinocchio pleaded for his life, begging the director to be merciful. The cricket was right, Pinocchio whined. Bad things do happen to boys who skip school. At first, the director didn't care that Pinocchio wanted to become a good boy. But as the little puppet continued to cry and squeal, promising he'd change his ways, the man softened and said, All right, I'll eat my lamb half-cooked today. To Pinocchio's amazement, the director pulled out five gold pieces. Give these to your father. 
Show him that you're a good boy, and don't disturb the show again. Pinocchio couldn't believe his luck. With a quick nod, he took the gold coins. On his way home, Pinocchio couldn't help but smile. He and his father were rich. He was going to buy a new coat for his father and a new schoolbook for himself. But his musings of wealth were interrupted when an oily fox with a broken paw and a blind yellow-toothed cat stepped out in front of him. The fox smirked. Hello there. We saw your father this morning, Pinocchio. He was shivering in the cold all alone. Pinocchio replied, He won't be for long. Soon he'll be a rich man. Boastful, Pinocchio showed the fox and the cat the five gold pieces he was going to give his father. Licking his lips, the fox replied, Well, 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 that is quite a hefty sum you have. Did you know you could double that gold in a single night? Suspicious, Pinocchio eyed the two slinky mammals. How? Why, you take it to the city of the Simple Simons. Don't you know about the city of Simple Simons? There's a blessed field outside of the city. If you bury gold in that field, it sprouts and grows and blooms into more gold. The cat purred. You could grow 2,500 pieces in a single night. Pinocchio couldn't imagine that many gold pieces. He weighed his coins in his hand, considering. With 2,500 gold pieces, he could buy anything he wanted, even his own theater. He could hire a whole host of other talking puppets just like him, and Geppetto would surely be proud of him for making all that gold. Pinocchio agreed to follow the fox and the cat out of town. On the way to the city of Simple Simons, the three stopped to sleep and eat at the inn of the Red Lobster. For dinner, the fox and the cat ordered 35 mullets with tomato sauce, four portions of tripe, a dozen young and tender spring chickens, some partridges, a few pheasants, a couple of rabbits, and a dozen frogs and lizards, a feast for the three wealthy friends. But the next morning, Pinocchio awoke to find his companions had left without him. The innkeeper told him that they'd promised Pinocchio would pay the bill. Not knowing what else to do, Pinocchio gave up one of his gold pieces. He was about to be a very rich man, he thought smugly. He could afford to be generous. As he was preparing to meet up with his new friends, Pinocchio heard a familiar chirping sound in his room. Turning, he saw a small ghost perched on the bed. It was the spirit of the cricket he had smashed in Geppetto's shop. Pinocchio stared at the bug, taken aback. The ghostly cricket chirped. Return home. Don't go to the city of Simple Simons. Pinocchio didn't like being told what to do. With a mighty breath, he blew the spirit of the cricket out of his room. 
What did a dead cricket know about money anyway? Once Pinocchio had his hands full of gold, he would show that little bug. In a matter of minutes, Pinocchio was back into the fresh air and on his way to the city of the Simple Simons. For the next few hours, Pinocchio walked alone through a large forest. The trees stretched out above him like large, wrinkled hands. He didn't like being all by himself in the woods. No doubt thieves were lurking behind these trees. As soon as this thought occurred to him, he heard a rustle nearby. Pinocchio froze, his heart clattering in his tiny wooden chest. If it was thieves, they'd want his gold. Thinking quickly, Pinocchio hid his four pieces of gold under his tongue. As he did so, two figures appeared in the darkness, little more than inky outlines in the deep woods. A gruff voice barked, Give us your gold or we'll kill you and your father. Pinocchio was so scared he screamed. The gold pieces rattled under his wooden tongue. Hearing the rattle, the two thieves grabbed Pinocchio's nose and jaw and tried to pull his mouth open, but the little puppet kept his lips sealed as tightly as he could. Then one of the thieves pulled out a long knife. They stuck the knife into the corner of Pinocchio's mouth and began to slice the blade along his lips, carving deep lines into his wooden flesh. Pinocchio tried to struggle free, but the knife only lodged deeper. Screaming and reeling from the pain, Pinocchio lunged forward and began to bite the thief's hand, ripping and tearing with savage, agonized fury. Pinocchio could taste blood, but he kept biting again and again until, with a sickening snap, Pinocchio ripped the thief's hand clean off. Blood sprayed over Pinocchio's face as he backpedaled away from the thieves. Horrified, he turned and ran. He didn't look back, but he heard the thieves behind him, their feet scampering and scratching on the forest floor. Pinocchio ran as fast as he could for seven miles until he arrived at a big tree. It stood like a wall in front of him. He climbed and climbed until he was high above the forest floor. But the thieves caught up and quickly spotted him. As Pinocchio cowered in the branches, they lit torches. In the flickering light, he could now make out their faces. It was Cat and Fox. Pinocchio saw them break out into uproarious laughter as they lit the tree on fire. The blaze began to engulf the branches. The cat and fox sat down, cackling. They were ready to watch Pinocchio burn to ash. Pinocchio was horrified. He remembered what fire felt like. With as much bravery as he could muster, he jumped from the burning tree and landed hard on the ground. The cat and fox glared. If they were mad before, now they were furious. They charged after Pinocchio, ready to cut him into splinters. 
Pinocchio ran again, past fields and meadows, over roads and under trees. At every step, he heard the angry breath of the thieves right behind him. Then Pinocchio saw a small cottage glowing bright white in the darkening woods. As fast as he could, he sprinted to the cottage and banged on the door with all his might. No one responded. He banged again. Still no response. The thieves were coming. He banged on the door a third time. Finally, a young maiden with azure hair stuck her head out of the window. She looked gentle and kind. Surely she'd save him. Pinocchio pleaded. Please help me, nice lady. Two thieves are trying to kill me. They want to burn me. But the maiden stared at the poor puppet and smiled darkly. No one lives in this house. Everyone is dead. I am dead too. I'm waiting for the coffin to take me away. Confused, Pinocchio continued to beg for help until... The fox and the cat collided with him. They pinned him against the cottage wall, pressing his face into the wood. Then they brandished knives and began to slash. Pinocchio winced in pain, but the knives broke on his wooden skin. The thieves glared at him, more upset than ever. They decided to hang him. The two animals tightened a noose around Pinocchio's neck and kicked his battered little body across the forest floor to a nearby tree. They strung him up, cackling. Pinocchio began to cry. This was the end. This was how he died. As he hung, he thought about his father, all alone, without a son to help him. He had been bad. The cricket was right again. It would end in misery. But a few hours later, Pinocchio was still swaying from the noose, and the thieves, bored of waiting for Pinocchio's wooden neck to break, muttering that the puppet would die soon enough, the cat and fox disappeared into the woods. Pinocchio dangled in the wind, awaiting the death he'd been promised, with each passing gust, he felt the rope grow tighter and tighter around his thin neck. Soon he was struggling to breathe. His vision was growing foggy. He slipped into unconsciousness. But Pinocchio wasn't alone. Just as he blacked out, the maiden with the azure hair caught sight of the poor puppet hanging in the wind. He looked so sad and alone. She regretted that she didn't let him into her cottage. In truth, she was a powerful fairy who had lived in the woods for many years. She didn't usually like visitors, but perhaps she would make an exception. With a clap of her hands, she summoned a falcon from the trees and commanded it to cut Pinocchio down. For the next few days, the fairy with the azure hair watched over the injured, unconscious puppet. She laid him in the cottage, surrounded with fresh flowers and lace. He was so helpless, she began to see him as a little brother. A few days later, Pinocchio woke up. 
He sat up when he saw the fairy. She decided to keep her true nature a secret, but her blue hair was impossible to conceal. She smiled at him. You've been asleep for a while. Impudent as ever, Pinocchio replied, That's because I was sleepy. She asked if he still had his golden coins. Pinocchio eyed her, suspicious. He said, They're gone. As he spoke, his nose grew a few inches. Pinocchio pretended nothing was amiss, so the fairy asked again where his gold was. Again, he said it was gone. As Pinocchio continued to lie, his nose grew longer and longer. Soon it was longer than he was tall. He couldn't turn his head without hitting something in the room. He banged it on the bed and along the windows. While Pinocchio wasn't looking, the fairy with the azure hair clapped her hands and summoned thousands of woodpeckers from the forest. They chiseled away at Pinocchio's face until his nose was the right size again. Then the fairy sat down beside the little puppet and told him that she didn't want the gold pieces for herself. She was his friend. She just wanted to make sure that he still had his gold. Pinocchio eyed her very suspiciously. She nodded. You don't believe me? Well, maybe you'll believe me when I tell you that I have sent an invitation to your father to come meet you here at the cottage. Word has spread that he's been missing you terribly. Pinocchio jumped for joy. Without another word to the fairy with the azure hair, he ran down the road. The fairy sighed. She could only help him so much. Pinocchio skipped down the road in the direction his father must be, whistling to himself. Once they reunited, he'd promise to be good. Along the way, a small pigeon flew down to greet him, asking, Do you know Pinocchio? Pinocchio stared back. Of course I do. I'm Pinocchio. The bird explained he'd been sent by Pinocchio's father to look for him and that Geppetto was building a boat so he could search the ocean and retrieve his missing son. He'd been traveling the country and hadn't even gotten the blue-haired fairy's note about finding Pinocchio. Eager to reunite with his father, Pinocchio jumped on the back of the pigeon and they flew together to the nearby ocean. When they arrived at the shore, Pinocchio and the pigeon found the most horrific sight. People were wailing and screaming on the beach. A large shark had eaten a poor old man when he was out at sea, they lamented. The old man had been looking for his lost son, but none of it mattered now. He was dead. Pinocchio's heart sank as he realized the dead man was Geppetto. He swore once and for all that he would be good from now on. His father had died trying to find him, and this was the only way to honor his memory. He would go back to school, learn all he could, and grow up to be responsible and kind. But then a wagon pulled up. It was led by 12 pairs of donkeys and driven by a large, jolly man with a shiny face. 
the man beamed at Pinocchio and invited him to the land of toys. Pinocchio tried to turn away from the carriage, but how could he resist such an incredible place? He wouldn't stay forever. He could still uphold his oath. Later. Up next, Pinocchio learns to stop avoiding school the hard way. Now, the conclusion of our tale. Pinocchio stepped off the carriage and into the land of toys. It overflowed with lights, games, and screaming. Huge roller coasters spun their way around mountains of candy. Boys his age were shooting marbles, playing hopscotch, riding bicycles, doing flips. Pinocchio jumped right in. He fought with sticks and rode the roller coasters. He ate cotton candy until he vomited, and then did it all over again. Day after day, he didn't once consider that he ought to return home and go to school, until he awoke to a terrible surprise. Pinocchio's ears had grown at least 10 inches overnight. They were now covered in thick brown fur like a donkey's. He pulled at them. What was happening? Suddenly, Pinocchio felt his bones grinding and crunching inside his body. He fell on all fours and watched as his arms turned into legs. His face lengthened into a snout and thick fur spread over his body. Pinocchio felt deformed, exposed, and clumsy in his new, fleshy body. He tried to scream for help, but only a donkey bray came from his mouth. Panicking, he saw the dark eyes of the wagon driver watching him from the doorway. The wagon driver's voice was smooth and silky. Fine work, boy. You've just joined the show. For three months, the wagon driver trained Pinocchio to be a show donkey. He taught him how to jump, bow, dance, and even to stand on his head. If he ever disobeyed, the wagon driver whipped him until he bled. Sometimes he beat him just for fun. One night after a particularly harsh beating, Pinocchio's face dropped to the floor. If this was his life, he no longer wanted it. He ran on his battered donkey legs, leaving a trail of blood from the wagon to the cliffs. He charged toward the sheer edge, running with the last of his energy. Pinocchio flew over the edge and plummeted into the darkness below. He seemed to sink in slow motion as everything grew darker and wetter around him. He opened his eyes to realize he wasn't dead, but had landed in the ocean. As he drifted deeper into the water, a swarm of fish began to bite at his flesh. Blood mixed with the water as they ate him alive. Petrified, Pinocchio watched as the fish gnawed his body down to the bones, or in his case, the wood. By some kind of magic, his bones weren't those of a donkey. 
When the fish finished eating the donkey flesh, Pinocchio was back in his puppet body. Reinvigorated by having his body back, Pinocchio vowed to return home, for real this time. For as long as he lived, he would behave like a good boy. But once again, something stopped Pinocchio. As he was swimming out to sea, Pinocchio froze. Something very large was in the water below him. As the creature drew nearer, the ocean churned faster and faster, spinning into a whirlpool of sea and foam. Pinocchio's eyes shot from side to side. There was nowhere to go. And then, all he could see was teeth, a monstrous mouth stretched open before him, ready to swallow him whole. Pinocchio's wooden limbs flapped uselessly. The world was spinning, the sound was deafening. A current pulled him inexorably toward the creature. With a sudden snap of the shark's jaw, Pinocchio was plunged into inky darkness. Blinded, Pinocchio sloshed down the slimy tongue and into the soggy belly of the beast. Hopeless and alone, he began to cry. His life was turning out to be nothing but heartache and pain. How he wished to see his father again. He would never have another chance to be a good boy. He was overwhelmed with repentance. It was then that he saw a small light coming from even deeper within the belly of the beast. Slowly, he made his way towards it. As Pinocchio got closer, he realized the light was a small candle. Beside it, he saw a familiar old man. Pinocchio screamed in joy. Father! The little puppet ran into the arms of his father and held him as close as he could. Geppetto began to cry, holding his son to his heart. Pinocchio apologized for all of the terrible mistakes he had made, but Geppetto would hear none of it. He didn't have the energy to rehash the past. He was just glad to see his boy alive and well. Reunited, Pinocchio and Geppetto planned their escape from the shark's belly. First, they waited for the creature to fall asleep. Then, slowly and cautiously, they climbed the ridges in its throat. As they got to the front of the mouth, they felt a jolt. The shark had moved. They froze, listening to the heavy breathing of the beast. After counting to ten, Pinocchio and Geppetto began to swim toward the rows of razor-sharp teeth. Working together, they could push the jaw open, just enough to slip through. Finally, as gently as possible, they pushed on the shark's lips and slid out of its soggy mouth into open water. With the shark still asleep, they swam ashore as fast as they could. Back on dry land, Pinocchio and his father settled down in a small cottage together. For the next five months, Pinocchio cared for his father. He made sure Geppetto had enough food to eat and water to drink. 
In his spare time, he read voraciously. He was learning, day by day, to be good. One day as Pinocchio was getting food for his father in a local market, he was surprised to see none other than the lady with the azure hair. But something was wrong. She could barely walk. Pinocchio knew it was his responsibility to help her, to repay her for everything she'd done for him when he was still bad. Pinocchio traded his coat for medicine and gave it to the lady. She kissed his cheek and smiled. Bravo, Pinocchio. Boys who love their parents and take good care of them when they're old and sick deserve praise. Pinocchio thanked her for her kind words and returned home to care for his father. That night, Pinocchio had the strangest dream. The lady with the azure hair came to him and said she was a fairy, then turned him from a puppet into a real boy. His skin turned warm and fleshy, and he was able to grow up like everyone else, it was the best dream he'd ever had. When Pinocchio awoke the next morning, he was greeted with the most surprising sensation. Overnight, he had indeed transformed. Real hair grew out of his head, and he had bright blue eyes. He felt his soft skin and his warm heart. Pinocchio yelped with joy and ran to show his father that he was now a real boy. Seeing him, Geppetto picked up his son and held him close. He couldn't have been prouder. Pinocchio was good, after all. In pure joy, Pinocchio marched around the room until he saw something that made him stop short. In the corner was his old wooden body. He stared at his old self for a long time before saying, How ridiculous I was as a marionette, and how happy I am now that I have become a real boy. For the rest of his life, he would work hard and care for his father. Even if being good wasn't always the most fun, it was the most rewarding. Besides its unique characters, The Adventures of Pinocchio is also memorable for its darkness. Author Carlo Collodi, real name Carlo Lorenzini, had grown up in the Catholic Church. The strict moral code of the Church led Collodi to write stories with harsh lessons. Pinocchio lies and is punished severely, not unlike a sinner in the Bible. Collodi was also used to writing political satire, and so he had experience with using symbols, such as animals or cartoon characters, to represent darker, real-world figures. He was essentially a stern grandfather tasked with writing playful children's tales. This proved a winning formula, as children were drawn to the slightly scary, high-stakes adventures of Pinocchio, Parents were hard-pressed to disapprove, as the lessons within the text were severe and instilled discipline in young readers. Just like Pinocchio, those who heard his story often found themselves vowing to be good.
Thanks for listening to Tales. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Tales and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Tales, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Tales on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Tales in the search bar. Several of you have asked how to help us. Well, if you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. Join me in two weeks for another dark and surprising fairy tale. Tales was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, with sound design by Carrie Murphy. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Edmire and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Tales was written by Michael Allen Herman. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 